Welcome to Docs in Orbit, a podcast for international, independent, creative nonfiction filmmakers. This is Christina Zacriades. We are officially starting our new season of episodes at the Berlin Alley with a focus on the forum section. It happens to be the section where many of the filmmakers featured on this podcast have screened their works. For instance, Taming the Garden by Salome Joshi in 2021. And last year, Rewind and Play by Alan Gomis and Geographies of Solitude by Jacqueline Mills. For the past four years, the artistic director of this independently curated section of the Berlin Alley has been Christina Nord. So I invited Nord to speak about the history of the Berlin Alley Forum and what has shaped her curatorial eye. We also talk about some of the nonfiction films that will be in this year's collection to discover. So without further ado, here's the conversation. So I wanted to just start and get a little bit of background on your curatorial perspective and where, where did it all start for you in terms of your journey into film programming, film curation? First of all, uh, Christina, please let me say that uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, when it comes to your question, I think I fell in love with uh, cinema very early, like as a kid. Basically, and as a teenager, I I, I started to to um, devour films um, um, like on a very non-biased and very curious uh, basis. Um, so I went to the cinema as often as I could, and I did not study film studies though because um, when I studied, it was uh, a little bit more complicated. It was not that established as it is today. So I studied literature and Latin American literature, but um, focused, tried to focus on film as often as I could. I worked as a film editor for a Berlin-based daily newspaper called Die Tageszeitung, which means daily newspaper, um, if you translate it. And I was in charge of um, the film critics section of the newspaper for 13 years, more or less. And during that time, when I was uh, very much involved with the cinema from the role and from the perspective of a critic, I also started to program. First uh, with a non-fiction film festival set in Duisburg in Western Germany. It's called Filmwoche Duisburg. And their system is like they show one film at a time, just one film. So everybody watches this one film. And afterwards, there's a long discussion, like 60 minutes, maybe even longer. And uh, so you don't only discuss a subject matter of a film, but you really discuss its artistic strategies and why it is filmed the way it is filmed in. So um, that was, I think, something which I perceived as quite formative. I did that for two years. Later, I did some programming for the House of World Cultures in Berlin, which is uh, quite an institution. And uh, I put together a film program uh, which accompanied uh, a program program called Narrating War, um, which dealt with uh, ways of literature and journalism to talk about war. And um, yes, as I said, there was a film program going along with it and uh, I was in charge of that film program. And maybe you can already see that Back then, 
I'm talking about uh, 2011, 2012, 2014. I was very much into um, nonfiction filmmaking, also in regard to like the, the 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 aesthetics and the artistic expressions of nonfiction um, filmmaking. So the question of how is it done is always been key for me. In 2015, I quit my job as uh, as uh, editor in charge of film um, critique in the newspaper, and moved to Brussels, where I work for the Good Institute in charge of the cultural programming in Southwestern Europe. So that was a moment where I, how shall I put it, where I learned a lot about coordination, steering bigger projects, assuming responsibility and uh, working uh, working with a bigger team and uh, um, doing it in a way that everybody uh, likes to work. And in 2019, I was offered uh, the position I'm currently in um, as the head of the Berlinale Forum. And uh, that's pretty much how I arrived back in Berlin after spending four years in Brussels. However, I have to say that I will be in this position only until June of this year. I will return to the Goethe Institute and eventually become the head of the Goethe Institute in Nairobi, Kenya in July 2023. So it's like uh, the end of my tenure is near when it comes to the Berlin Art Forum. That's a brief overview of uh, what I've been doing so far and also into conception and the coordination of cultural events. Yeah, and you had mentioned a lot about uh, nonfiction film as being a center for you. What was it about that form that really excited you? Um, I'd like to go back in time um, to sort of like a moment during my studies, mid-90s, I attended a class dedicated to the aesthetics of ethnographic filmmaking. Um, and that was super interesting for me because I realized it's not so much about the what, what we see, the content. It's also very, very much about um, how it is done. And this how has a lot to do with um, an artistic vision, even though it's a documentary, even though it's nonfiction, but there is a certain artistic vision. And in turn, this artistic vision also has a lot to do with technologies which are available. Jean Rouge could do films which were completely different from earlier documentaries because he could work with lighter camera equipment, for instance. And it was, for me, um, crucial to learn that, that there is like something like an interface or a, a strong connection between the technical aspects of filmmaking and the artistic choices a filmmaker and uh, and his crew can can take and pursue um, in the in the process of conceiving the film and making the film, um, and that was something I found uh, I found highly intriguing. And I think since then it's always been something which. Um, which marked my, my perception of cinema, that it's really like this blend of ideas on the one hand, technologies on the other hand, and um, the, um, the combination of both. And um, out of that, an artistic, uh, an artistic idea um, arises. At the same time, I'm mentioning ethnographic filmmaking, of course, there is also the question involved, how do I as a filmmaker position myself towards the people I'm filming? 
what is my relationship to the people I'm I'm filming? And um, I think that is a question which is uh, crucial today because um, we see so many so many examples of situations in which um, filmmaking might be an act of uh, violence. Maybe is too strong a word, but you can sort of like do things against the people you film by filming them and you should be aware of that. So I think people like Jean Rouge, for instance, were aware of that. At the same time, it was another time, another moment of uh, another moment of, in, in history. And I think today um, people go for other, um, try to find other solutions. Um, and maybe the entire idea of ethnographic filmmaking has come to an end because we no longer live in a world in which you can go elsewhere overseas and film people who live a life which is completely different from yours. Um, why I'm stressing that is that there's obviously also something like um, a political aspect to um, nonfiction filmmaking. And this political aspect has a lot to do with the way a filmmaker relates to the people he or she films. Um, so I think it's this super interesting constellation between ideas, a political situation, and um, and and technological options um, at hand. Yeah, and I think lately something personally that I've been noticing is um, a lot of the films that I'm spending more time with are films that have this level of care, you know, because we're so bombarded with so many images and some of them can be quite horrific. I mean, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of things to be um, anxious about. And I feel that there's this understanding within certain filmmakers of thinking about care, whether that's if they're dealing with traumatic situations, but they're finding a way to make that okay for audiences to also be a part of and in how they're filming, what they're filming, if it's a personal story or if it's experience of others that, yeah, that I'm, I'm finding to be really important for me <laughs> as a viewer, as an, as an audience member. And, and you were cautious about the word violence, but I wouldn't be because I think that there are a lot of filming styles that can be violent and extracting and, um, you know, more ego driven. You're my subject and... Um, I'm more interested in the way that it will look and... Yes. yes, extracting is, I think, that was the word I was looking for um, because uh, I think extractivism is uh, something which happens very easily when it comes to documentary filmmaking um, and it should not. Um, everybody who's who's working as a filmmaker should be aware of the dangers of extractivism. Yeah. And well, well, one thing that I actually want to set the stage of what the Berlin Alley Forum is and the role that it plays for film culture, I've noticed that there's such a diverse range of what is being presented there. And then also following the films after the Berlin Alley Forum, like where is it that they end up? And there's a lot of echoes and other programming that happens later in the year. Like for instance, the New York Film Festival, you can find a handful of Berlin, film, Berlin Forum films in the current section there. So there's this, I think, um, runway for this specific kind of expansive way of thinking about aesthetics and form and politics as well. Thank you for saying that. And I like the word runway. Um, some background on this section 
I think it's important to know that it's an independent section. It's not run by the Berlinale itself. It's run by the Arsenal Institute for Film and Video Art. And it was founded in 1971 uh, by a collective. I think it was founded with the clear impulse of being um, against a festival which works with stars and glamour and also sort of like a display of certain nations' films. Um, there was a moment when the films shown in the Berlinale competition were not even selected by a group of programmers, but by the countries that they came from. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, but yeah. that's, I mean, it's a long, long, long time ago. It was a little bit like the background in the late 60s, Um and then, yeah, the Berlinale Forum was founded clearly as something like a counter festival. And it was also pretty much impregnated by the notion of counterculture. So it was a place where you could see like the most radical things from uh, the Ziga Vertov group. Um, you could see films from the Soviet Union to create something like a bridge to um, the Soviet Union. And for instance, they had very, very um, tight connections to Georgia and to people working with a cinema in Georgia. So that was also something which was very important in the first years of the, of the Berlinale Forum. It was a way of um, showing experimental and avant-garde films. Um, it was a place where you would see very political filmmaking. So to in order to celebrate the 50th anniversary, and we did that in 2020, we showed uh, the first uh, the first edition, not in its entirety, but uh, parts of it. And I was surprised how many films were dedicated to the civil rights movement in the U.S. So mm -hmm. um, and the struggle for black liberation in in the U.S. So it was all these three, four things at once: um, avant-garde, experimental, political, and very much dedicated to film as an art form, to put it like that, um, and with a very good sensitivity for young and upcoming um, filmmakers who later became legends. Um, so in the early years, the film was really a thriving place for people like Nagisa Oshima, um, Angelopoulos, I mentioned the, the Ziga Vertov group, etc., etc. So I think it was really a celebration of what cinema was capable of, apart from glamour stars and um, three-act structures. It's and was it always a part of the Berlin Alley when it started in, in, in this sort of movement of being a counterpoint? Because it's the only program, right? It's the only section within the Berlin Alley that, that operates independently. Is that correct? Forum Expanded and Forum. So it's yeah. the sister, our sister section, Forum Expanded, is also independently curated. That is a very good question because um, it also refers to um, our current times. Being independent does not mean that you're not part of the Berlinale. So it was, in a way, it was already back then part of the Berlinale, even though it was an independent structure. And that's a bit like it is today. Um, we are independent in our, um, when it comes to artistic choices. Of course, when it comes to organization and coordination, we are also part of the of the Berlinale structure. Um, when it comes to the forum, it's like, for instance, the difference is in Panorama, the films selected um, 
I mean, there's there is the head of the Panorama section, uh, Michi Stutz, um, and he's in charge. At at the same time, Carlo Carlo Chatrian is the artistic director, and as such is able um, maybe not to force Michi not, that not, but uh, he's the artistic director. And uh, when it comes to to the films we choose, um, I'm I'm the artistic director um, in for the forum section. So um, the program is something which is developed by the forum selection committee, by our consultants and by the people who are in pre-selection. And I'm sort of like coordinating this process. And then with uh, the uh, with the selection committee, we watch films in October, November, December, mostly, and we decide which ones uh, we pick. And that is sort of like the independent part. Mm -hmm. And there's also some films in the forum that do participate in competition sections, correct? So like, for instance, the documentary competition and the first feature, is it? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, there are like the forum itself is a is a non-competitive section um, that has a lot to do with uh, 1971 and that moment of uh, that particular moment of time and uh, it was perceived like a very a very absurd idea to compare works of art and to 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 sort of like say which is the best. Um, so the founding fathers and mothers of the forum found that. Uh, unnecessary and sort of like uh, too close to a capitalist logic. Um, you have to, you have competition, you have to know who's the best. Um, and that was something they would deny for the films presented in, in, in forum because they are artworks and you cannot really compare artworks. So I think that is important um, to know in order to understand why it's a non-competitive section. At the same time, of course, you can see that filmmakers, especially young ones, need visibility and you get visibility when whenever you win a prize, of course. So I think it is something which could be debated in the future. Maybe my successor will debate it. But uh, then again, that's not up to me. Um, but that's like the background information why it's a non-competitive um, section. At the same time, of course, there are prizes and especially the documentary award and we are a section in which a lot of documentaries are shown. So of course, some of our films are nominated for um, the documentary award. So you had also mentioned the screening committee. I'd love to hear a little bit more about this as well in terms of like the, the, the way that the screening committee is shaped and then how, if you can give us a little peek behind the curtain of, uh -huh. um, of how they work together with yeah. you. Um, so we have, uh... A threefold process, I'd say. There's pre-selection. There are, I think, something like 12 people, maybe 14 people working in pre-selection. They are watching the submitted films. And then there are our consultants. They are not working in Berlin. They are sort of like based all over the world. Um, we are working, for instance, with uh, Luciano Monteagudo in Buenos Aires and with uh, Rizky Laswadi in Indonesia. So there is a certain geographical expertise. At the same time, I also like to have people I can rely upon when it comes to an expertise, which is more related to aesthetics. Like, for instance, there's somebody who is very knowledgeable about queer cinema, and uh, um, he's the person we ask when we are in doubt about uh, a queer film. So 
the people involved in pre-selection don't do any scouting. The consultants do scouting and suggest films, um, and they also watch films and recommend them if they find them um, interesting. So for instance, from um, Latin America, we get a list put together by Luciano Monteagudo and also the, de the Berlinales delegate in, in, in Brazil is helping us, Eduardo Valente, um, and they are sending us, us an overview about new and interesting films from uh, Latin America, from the different places in Latin America. And then we, that is the selection committee, we are five people, four people in the committee and then me, and we have very different takes on cinema, I think. Of course, we all feel strongly the forum, this specific forum sensitivity, this eagerness for nonfiction film, the eagerness for more experimental, cutting edge um, ways of filmmaking. We also like fiction films, of course, but uh, not sort of like conventionally told fiction films. Um, so we are very fond of um, experiments in narration, uh, narrative structure, etc. Yeah, and we watch films together and then slowly, slowly a program takes shape. And I also am wondering, before you're starting to kind of go into the screening room and engage with even your consultants or the screening committee, are there specific sort of notions or ideas or concepts that you think are really important as a culture worker for culture at large that you're, I don't want to say pushing, but that you're really kind of questioning and you have in your mind and then you see a film and you're like, okay, or is it the ideas are coming from the material that is being submitted and that is out there and sort of sculpting it that way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is also a super important question because I think it's, to a certain extent, it's both. If I have too many ideas in my head before the selection process starts, I'm going sort of like to ruin it because um, I have too many ideas and I'm not open to see what's there. And I think you always, as a programmer, you always need that openness towards the material, towards the forms you are going to watch. If I have like a very strict um, idea of uh, subject matters or certain types of aesthetics, I want to show, I cannot deal with the fact that it might be completely different. Um, so for me, I always describe it as a process. In the beginning, it's better not to have too many ideas. Um, and then at a certain moment, when you have started to invite um, the first forms, etc., let's say November, um, and you know what what's what's there to come, who else has submitted a film, um, and then you can sort of like start to think about what you've seen so far, and if there are, I like to call it light motif, not only because it's a German word, but um, because I think it describes pretty well what I mean, because you can, you, then you have sort of like a first idea of certain tendency, currents, undercurrents maybe, that uh, structure the films you have selected so far. And then of course you start to look out for things which might match, or maybe, I mean, maybe you already have three films which use a certain device and then you don't want to have a fourth film using the same device. That can also happen. To make it more concrete this year, for instance, there was a moment where I had the feeling, oh, there are so many films uh, with uh, voiceover and very different types of voiceover. So it's not like the typical octorial voiceover, somebody telling you what to think of the images you see, not that, but uh, more playful approaches to voiceover. And also sometimes, a big discrepancy between the material you see and the text you hear. 
Um, so that, that is definitely a leitmotif in this year's selection. And uh, that was something we did not have in mind when we started the selection process. It was something which came while we were selecting forms. Same goes for another leitmotif, which is related to the voiceover leitmotif, which is the use of archival material. It's, I think, always been a stronghold of the forum, showing films that deal with archival material. And this year we have, for instance, a film which is using video footage. It's a th three-hour documentary um, about a trial which took place in Buenos Aires in 1985. And um, put to trial were um, the the leading members of the military junta. Um, and uh, it was quite an important trial for the young democracy um, Argentina was back then. And uh, the filmmaker uses video footage from the trial itself and exclusively video footage. So that would be one of the films we have, which is working with archival footage. Another one I could mention is the one by Fiona Tan, who's using um, archival material from the Netherlands, mostly everyday life, work, work in the harbor, etc. And she's contrasting this uh, archival material with the voiceover who's reading letters her father wrote to her mm. in 1989, 1990, when she moved to Amsterdam to study art. And uh, that would also be one of the examples for the leitmotif archival material. And, and that one, that, the title of that one is Dearest Fiona, correct? Is yes. that the one that you're referring to? And the yes. other one, the Argentinian one that you were... It's called, the English title is The Trial, and the director is called Ulysses de la Orden. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been studying the program, highlighting, and I think this is a, a kind of good segue to go into some of the films that will be on display. Yes. I was wondering, is there going to be an opening film for the forum? We don't really have an official opening film. Um, however, we have a screening um, in the most beautiful theatre, which is also the biggest theatre. It's called Delphi on Friday evening. Um, and that uh, place, that spot is dedicated to uh, Notre Corps, Our Body by Claire Simon, French filmmaker. That is also a very beautiful nonfiction film, nearly three hours. We also have a tendency to uh, three-hour films. We have three nonfiction, three-hour films um, in the program. And uh, yeah, but I wanted to say something about Notre Corps by Claire Simon, which is a film I'm very happy to have in the selection. It's about a gynecological clinic in Paris. It's a very concise and rich film about what it means to live in a female body. It's about the experiences of cis women, but also about the experience of a trans woman and of trans teenagers. And it's 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 also one of those films where you realize that you might have individually, you might have an ailment, you might suffer from something, but watching a film like that, you see that there is a societal dimension to your um, to something you might perceive as an individual problem, um, and uh, that is something I found super remarkable. I really enjoyed this film a lot. It's it's quite harsh from time to time. For instance, there are three birth uh, scenes and one of them is a cesarean and a cesarean is something which definitely does not look nice. Um, but still, I think it's very important to show these images um, and to learn a lot about female body and the way it is treated in, um, in a clinic. 
Yeah, no, it, it's, it, it was one that really stood out for me too when I was reviewing the program. And Claire Simone is, I mean, a prolific filmmaker. She's She is. The other one that I was wanted to hear a little bit more about is Anqua. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a world premiere um, by a young filmmaker based in Vienna, Helen Schellig. And uh, it's a film about three women um, and they have suffered... They have suffered from violence. They were submitted to violent living conditions. And I'm not getting more precise because the film is not precise about it because, and that is something I find super remarkable. And uh, that is also the reason why we invited the film. These women obviously are captured in a, in a situation which is, they could escape the violence, but they are still very much um, under its spell. Um, you could say that they are traumatized. And the film does not convey that in a very logical, rational way, but the film itself is sort of like inclined towards the logic of trauma. So it does not give you orientation. It does not help you to understand the situation. You are exposed to a situation as a viewer and you cannot totally grasp it um, and that's very much sort of like the it is something which is which is impregnating the structure of the film very very deeply um, very intensely and I think that is really remarkable so it's not so much a film about a trauma which uh, comes after having gone through a violent uh, situation in your life and of course, we're talking about uh, misogynistic violence. Um, so it's a film which breathes the traumatic situation in a way, in its own logic. And as I said, I find that very remarkable. So it is a film which uh, tries to rebuild what it means to be in a post-traumatic uh, post situation. Mm -hmm. It, and that feels like it's also a, maybe a, a, another light motif in the in this um, in this program because I'm noticing where God is not about a prison cell that is almost reconstructed. Is that correct yes. in Paris? Yes. And they invite three former political prisoners from Iran to reenact yes. what has happened to them um, during interrogation. Exactly. Yeah, we have. I think we have a certain tendency to pick films that deal with very difficult subject matters and um, also find different ways of doing that. So um, as I said, Anka is a film which is very much immersed in the logic of trauma. And uh, Miran Tamaron in his film, Where God Is Not, um, goes into another direction. The people in the film are three people who are from Iran. They have been living in Paris for quite a while. So their experiences with the uh, regime of uh, oppression are not recent. It's not talking about um, what's happening currently in Iran, but of course you can sort of like extra extrapolate and um, listen to their experiences and then think about what's going on right now in Iran. And uh, I think this film, it's like an attempt to convey these experiences, which are very harsh experiences, torture of interrogation, um, of living in a very, very, very limited space in a prison, um, sometimes even smaller than a prison cell, but uh, sort of like uh, um, isolation in very, very, very small confinement spots. Um, so very tough, um, very, very tough uh, experiences. And 
the director, the filmmaker asks the three protagonists to reenact, not only talk about their experience, but to reenact them. And then the film observes what is happening from that moment onwards. If this is a cathartic experience, mm -hmm. if it is a re-traumatizing experience, if it is something which helps people like me, who's never been to a prison cell, to understand the experience of the three people, or if there, there is something which is unrepresentable, untranslatable in their experience. Um, so these are the questions the film constantly uh, raises. Um, and then it's up to the viewer to decide if, uh, if the film succeeds in answering these questions or if they remain open at the end of the film. I think that is also something crucial. The film is constantly aware of the fact that a film is being done, that there is a filming going on. So the self-awareness is part of the film and there is a self-reflective um, attitude, um, which I find which I find important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there anything that you absolutely not miss in this program? Um, well, I already mentioned the film by uh, Claire Simon, which is really um, something which is very dear to me. Um, however, I'd also like to point out uh, a film which is very beautiful as an artist's portrait. It's Luke Fowler's film, Being in a Place, a Portrait of Margaret Tate. Margaret Tate was a Scottish experimental filmmaker, and Luke Fowler... Um, is realizing a project or is um, partly uh, realizing a project she had in mind and had worked on and couldn't realize because, because of lack of funding um, mostly and because uh, for female experimental filmmakers, life was not easy and um, getting funding was uh, quite hard. And uh, Luke Fowler, to a certain extent, does it. And then it's a very beautiful example of a co-creation posthumous uh, co-creation, if you want uh, to call it like that, and an example of an artist's portrait, which is very, very, which is very close to the um, artistic approach um, of the artist in question, in that case, Margaret Tate. So that would definitely be a film I would point out. And Luke Fowler, he, he works a lot in 16 millimeter film, right? Yes, exactly. So it's also a very beautiful um, analog uh, work with analog material. And yeah, then um, I'd love to mention a film by Viera Chakanyova. It's an essay, so it's maybe not strictly nonfiction because um, there are a lot of things which are a little bit fictional in that film. It's called Notes from Erimosine. Erimosine being a notion coined in the US by an academic and it means the age of loneliness. It's what's uh, what supposedly comes after the Anthropocene um, and loneliness because uh, slowly, slowly we are destroying the world we are inhabiting and uh, climate change and the crisis of biodiversity will uh, lead to a situation in which uh, other spe species will be gone and maybe also the human species will be gone. And the filmmaker creates something which is like a virtual version of her consciousness, which is inhabiting a cloud and meets other virtual consciousness. Some of them are artificial intelligences. And um, it's a very wild film, a little bit uh, pessimistic because of the, um, the world is, has become a pretty bleak place. 
At the same time, the film is very playful when it comes to the work with the material. Viera Chakanova, the filmmaker, uses um, analog material, but she works, she's she's doing a lot of digital um, experiments with uh, the material. Among other things, she uses a leader scanner and um, the use of this technology creates a lot of strange artifacts, glitches, um, and it's really, uh, whereas let's say the, the part of the film where it's about how do we live in the future is rather bleak. The way she works with the material is is really funny and uh, and um, very experimental and uh, as I said, very playful too. So that is definitely one of the films I'd uh, I'd like to recommend. Yeah. Well, so I want to just end and say thank you for not only your time but also also your contribution. Just from my experience um, in the in the four years that you've been involved with the Berlin Alley Forum, it's introduced me to this more expansive format. And um, and so thank you and and best of luck on your next endeavor um, and all that you do. Thank you very much, Christina. It's very kind of you to say that and uh, it's really highly appreciated. It's also because uh, sometimes putting together programs is a bit like uh, talking to a black box or something like that. And it's it's it's, it's really great to hear that uh, it causes something and it has an effect. So thank you very much for, for pointing that out. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you.